You're listening to the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore. Joining us, David Jennings, author of the historical novel set during America's era of slavery called After Bondage and War. Uh, David's been uh, telling us about the characters in his uh, novel. And you say that you want to have your particular approach to historical fiction is to have about half history and about half fiction. And I noticed in uh, your list of of characters that you work into the book, I mean, they're the major ones. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, Ulysses Grant, Robert E. Lee. Do they interact with your characters? Um, They don't interact... Well, a little bit. Uh, David Wexley is a, is a low, uh, lowly corporal, and he uh, fights under Ambrose Burnside in the uh, battles in the East in Virginia. Uh, and, of course, uh, Grant comes into the picture later when Lincoln picked him to, to run the war. So there's some semi-fictional but mostly truthful fiction about Lincoln and Grant and Sherman, and how they interacted, and how uh, many of the leaders in the North and South come from um, the uh, military academy, West Point, and they had to, they have this common code that they carry with them all their lives. And so, yes, David uh, fights under them as a lowly soldier. He wonders in the prison camp why Grant won't... Uh, uh, broker the prison release plan to let the let them uh, be released from uh, the southern prison mm-hmm. um, and of course grant doesn't want to reduce the, release the southerners in the north to go back and join the fight he wants to win the war by attrition there's some humorous stuff in there about grant uh, sitting on his horse with sherman uh, up on a hill uh, reviewing the troops. It's raining, and Grant is a little ticked off because his cigars are wet and he can't light them. And Kump, of course, uh, Sherman uh, remains silent because he doesn't want to irritate his boss. So there's some fictional stuff in there. You Mm -hmm. always have to do that to make it interesting. Indeed. We're talking with uh, David Jennings, his historical novel, After Bondage and War. Let's, uh, Let's talk about you a little bit. I believe that you're from, uh, where I'm from, are you, you're from the Amsterdam area? I am. I am. Um, I guess my story is that uh, I grew up there in the 40s and 50s. I went to, of course, Wilbur H. Lynch uh, High School at the time. Uh, we were there during Eisenhower's happy days, you know, in, right. the, in the 50s and 60s, early 60s. Um, so... Uh, there I was uh, at that time in high school. Of course, there's there's all, always that social rivalry for prestige, and um, that's just how high school is. And with those with adolescence, it still is, I'm sure. And so I was president of uh, one of the fraternities, uh, Theta Alpha Kappa. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of fraternities in those days and sororities. <laughs> I think they're all gone now. Mm-hmm, they are. Um, so, yeah, so then I, um, I I went to school in Troy, New York. I, I got a two-year degree from Hudson Valley Community College. It mm-hmm. was Hudson Valley Technical Institute back then in the Stone Age. Mm-hmm. We studied vacuum tubes. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I uh, got married young uh, at the end of that two-year college, and uh, I had a choice to go to work for a little electronics firm in Amsterdam in one of the mills for $68 a week. But I went for the big bucks, and I moved to Syracuse for $72 a week. Okay. <laughs> and I went to work for Syracuse Research Corporation, and over the 40-some years, I worked for a lot of little companies. And uh, I remember my first raise when I was raised to $80 a week and I was making $2 an hour. I felt on top of the world then. <laughs> Didn't we all? Now, so you this, ba- was, this was this, the you know the early sixties. <laughs> Basically, you spent uh, most of your working life in engineering or in technical. In, in stuff? engineering, yes, it was electronics engineering. Uh, at first, at Syracuse Research Corporation, we were we were funded to build uh, uh, prototype systems for the government. Uh, we were fighting the Cold War against uh, creeping communism at the time, and we fought it with electronic warfare. We built systems to spy on their radars, and they built systems to spy on our radars, and and so that's what we did. Uh, we were funded by uh, the NSA and the government agencies. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I went into more commercial electronics uh, later on, in other companies. But then in uh, 2001, I believe you retired or you, you left this field and you started or you you eventually got into uh, writing historical fiction, but I believe you first started uh, writing more contemporary essays on politics. I did. Um it was a process, Bob, um you know, as everything is. Um for a number of years, my wife's health was, was failing, and I uh, found some things to do by writing a lot of nonfiction um, things for, for my blog, and they were, they were political, and they were opinionated, and they tried to deal with current society's uh, bureaucracy and uh, politics and uh, things of that nature, and a little bit acrimonious at times. Um, struggling to understand current events and uh, I came to realize that we can't learn an awful lot from all the media noise and the angry frenzy and so on that we we hear I just wasn't learning anything from it it's kind of like Faulkner said I learned as much about it as a goat or a moth might (laughs) Uh, in other words nothing so I decided to go back to college. I was 70, and I enrolled Wait, I think we should stop you on that. You went back to yeah. college when you were 70. That's right. Ah. What? Yeah, I, I wanted to learn about American history. You know, it had been 50 years since I had studied it in high school, and I didn't study it in tech school uh, in college, of course. So I, I just enrolled in Columbia College here in Syracuse, uh, and it was wonderful. My classes were filled with 30- and 40-year-olds because it's sort of a night school. Uh, And I met this young man, uh, Leek Deng, from Sudan, Mm -hmm. and he is a lost boy from Sudan. And I learned about the lost boy story the the Holocaust that occurred against black Christians in the southern part of Sudan. And he came in 2000 
and of course became an American citizen. Mm-hmm. And he's just a charismatic man of great character. So between him and my early college professors, uh, I just started to have an interest about a closer interest about racial harmony. And he's sort of become my African son. I've sort of become his American papa because his mother and father were killed when he was 10 years old in the war. Mm. So I've joined his South Sudan Initiatives Foundation as a, as a uh, director and supported him. So I'm going through this history. I have this friend, um, and I decide that uh, there's all this layers of understanding history, like peeling back an onion to, to learn the ideas and the meanings. And I decide that uh, uh, a year ago to, to write a, a fictional novel. Now, in writing the, the novel, and again, I'm taking this from your website, that, that you did the book, or I believe your editor, a person named Joan Austin, and it says yes. you traveled back in time to live within the minds of the characters. What do you mean by that, and what was her role in creating the book? Well, I was maybe 15,000 words along, and I, ha- I went to a published uh, author in the area. I said, what do you think of this? He said, it's a great history paper. You must have done great writing your history papers as nonfiction, but this is not a novel that you're writing. Uh, You need to learn brand new things. First thing you need to do is go read a whole stack of fiction work and try to learn something. You need to learn how to write dialogue and descriptive uh, language and so on. So uh, I, I ran into Joan... She actually stood up for my wife as maid of honor, and her husband was my best man over 40 years ago in Syracuse. And I bumped into them on the phone. Uh, Dennis was going to come up for a college reunion, and we got talking. She read what I had, and she said, you know, I'm a storyteller. I was a, a middle school teacher and principal, and I'd like to help you. So she brought me from... 15,000 words to 46,000 words because I had sort of run out of ideas. I'm used to writing these six-page papers, but a novel's a different thing. So she worked with me as an editor, an idea person, uh, a little bit of the writing. Uh, She's not terribly fond of history, but she really helped me with the fiction. Hmm. So she helped me bring it to a conclusion. So you start to live with your characters you start to live in 1865, and, and you start to live standing next to and inside your characters, mm-hmm. and you start to gain a lot of empathy. Not not sympathy, Bob, because sympathy is when you and I are both the same. Uh, you have a broken leg, and I break my leg, mm-hmm. so I can have sympathy for you. But empathy is where we're different, but we try to walk a mile in each other's shoes, so we developed an empathy for our characters, and they began to live and breathe, and they began to write the story mm-hmm. because they began to tell us how they behave in certain circumstances. Mm-hmm. So it was just a wonderful process. Yeah, and has Joan Austin written uh, novels herself? No, no, no. She's basically she talks a blue streak like I do. <laughs> uh, she she has this, ideas spew out of her just like a fire hose. Um, she puts a little bit on paper for herself, but um, 
you know, she's done business writing back when she was a principal. You know, there's the the first person memoir is the easiest thing of all to write. You just sit down, you write about yourself. Nonfiction is narrative is more difficult, especially if it's not in your own contemporary time. You have to be an impeccable researcher, like uh, biographer uh, McCullough, David mm-hmm. McCullough. Right. So, no, she didn't really have great writing experience, but she just was a wonderful mentor. Mm-hmm. And I've heard the process you describe of kind of letting your characters almost write the story. I mean, feel yeah. empathy or closeness to them from other authors. I mean, they, uh, I've you know, I've heard them say that, um, or the, you know, the, the character will speak. Well, look, I, I wouldn't do that. Or, you know, this is what I do. Yes. Yes. I spent hours on the phone with Joan and a couple emails a day and we would talk about our characters and talk about our story and how they would how they would behave and so on yes how long has this book been in in the making well we were striving we our goal was a year and our goal was 70,000 words and we packed it in at 40,000 words and we published about 3 weeks ago we self-published and we went on Amazon dot com about three weeks ago and i've had paperbacks in in my hands for a couple weeks you know selling them around locally and going to the libraries and bookstores so it we we did an 11 month process um we actually we're starting another book but we're buried right now in the promotion and publication it's been a learning process something interesting bob uh, when I talked to this published author months ago, he said in the old days uh, you had to go find a proper publisher, and he had to pick up your work and 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 do it for you, and that was difficult. He says now everybody self-publishes, and it's so true. Mm-hmm. And he said, so what happened? He said there's only a few of the top writers that do it the old way, you know, like Stephen King, David McCullough. You know, maybe James Patterson, guys like that. And he said, all us Midland writers, which he was talking about himself, are gone now. And you self-publishing writers, the the unwashed masses of you, are publishing by the millions. Uh, and so that's how it is today. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you self-publish. So, uh, yes, and uh, I, I do note that you have a name associated with that, though. You call Downtown Books Publishing Auburn, that's New York. That's right. And uh, you're on. So basically, your book is for sale uh, online, or do, are you carried in any uh, like bookstores around Syracuse or, or uh, anywhere? I'm working on that, Bob. Uh, right now, uh, we're on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. And if you go to my website, if I may mention that, sure, it's www.davidclairejennings.com. Now, Claire is that middle name. It was my father's name. And it's spelled C-L-A-I-R-E. Mm-hmm. That's the version that can be either masculine or feminine. So I've been David C. Jennings for decades, mm-hmm. and then I've become Dave uh, informally. But I thought here, you know, I wanted to have this nom de plume, so I thought I should use David Claire Jennings. So on my website, you, you'll see a lot of things um, synopsis you'll see some things joan said she wrote the forward 
you'll see stuff about me in the book, my writing journey, and there'll be buttons there that you can press for Amazon or Barnes and Noble, and that'll take you right to my page on their websites. You know, so you're ready to put one book in the shopping cart. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm working on getting better descriptions and promotion through them. Mm-hmm. So that's online. All right. Um, the paperbacks. Uh, I'm just starting to work with the libraries and the bookstores. I will have some book signings coming up. Mm-hmm. Actually, Bob, I'm coming down to Amsterdam August 15th to have a picnic with my classmates. Mm-hmm. Uh, many have passed by now, but uh, there's still some I stay close to on Facebook. And so a couple of them have bought the book, and they want me to sign it. And so I'm coming down uh, for the picnic. And uh, I'm going to visit, I think it's Dan Weaver has a bookstore over on uh, Main Street, right? That's true. It's called The Book Hound. That's so, right. I've spoken like a... to him, and he says, sure, you can stop in when you're in Amsterdam and we'll um, take a couple of your books on consignment. Right. He says, I sell mostly nonfiction, not much fiction here, but but I'll I'll do it, you know. Have you had any reaction to the book? A little. Um, I'm waiting a little while to get better sales activity information from sure. Amazon. It takes a little while. I, I know a few have bought it. Personally, I just know they have. So right. I have no idea how many. Sure. Um, uh, let me, uh, and if I could, we're getting a little bit close to the end. Um, yes. If I could be permitted a personal question, you, you mentioned how your wife was ill. Is she still with us? She is indeed. She's uh, she's home 11 years now with decline of Alzheimer's. Uh-huh. And uh, my my son is home. I have a one of my my youngest thirty uh, six year old is home with us. Uh, he's a registered pharmacist, and together we take care of her. And because he's home, I can go out evenings to college, and I can pursue this this uh, late in life career that I've started. Indeed. And uh, about that, you said that you, or perhaps uh, you and uh, your colleague Joan Austin are going to do another book, or can you tell us anything about that project? I can. And, I, you know, Bob, I swore I'd never write another book after this because it was such, such hard work, and you could probably tell me a lot about your three books uh, sometime or now. But we wrote the book, and, and there's there's an unnamed character near the very end of it, and she's a wonderful, wonderful black Christian woman. Uh, she's a colored person. Uh, and she's just sort of a little minor hero at the end of the book. Well, we've decided to write a new book called Hannah's Promise. And and that Hannah is that woman. Uh, she comes to me from Dilsey in The Sound and the Fury by mm-hmm. Faulkner. Uh, you just got to love her. Mm-hmm. And, and she is about hope and harmony and peace. And uh, she's... So we've we I started it and uh, I've got you know ten pages. It's yeah. six months away. Well, I'm glad you uh, mentioned that. That's probably the one Hawk, uh, Faulkner character I remember is Dilsey. Isn't she the one that said they endured? They endured. Yes, I think so. Yes, yep. She was a servant uh, and a slave, but just a marvelous, marvelous Christian woman, uh, and just spread love. You know, uh, yeah. So uh, Hannah's hope is is our 
it's going to be a sequel. Mm-hmm, sure. It's going to, you know, quickly recapture a little about how the other book ended, the current book, and 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 move forward. Right. And, and it'll be said... much more fictional content and much less history. It'll be a little, a lot more spiritual. Yes. And you'd said Hannah's Promise, I thought, but it's Hannah's Hope will be the new book, or don't you know? No, it's Hannah's Promise. Hannah's Promise. Uh, she makes a, a covenant with an archangel, Michael. Right. about what God expects of her life. And she, she makes God a promise, and God makes her a promise. Well, David, uh, I'm sorry, but we're just out of time. I thank you for joining us. No worries. Our guest thank on you. This, you're, you're welcome. Our guest in this episode of the Historians Podcast has been David Jennings, author of the historical novel set during America's era of slavery called After Bondage and War. Thank you for joining us. I'm Bob Cudmore. My pleasure, Bob.